Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. A Podcast One production. Imagine having absolute power over a country. Every single decision that you make, every edict that you have has to be carried out exactly according to what you say. Today we're looking at lesser-known dictators of the 20th century. <laughs> so we're not going to focus on the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Maos. <sighs> Boring. We're going to do ones that you probably haven't heard of or you might have heard of a little bit. So we're trying to find the best lesser-known dictators. Yeah, th- that's uh, right. I like the fact that we've got, things have gotten so bad in Australia that we're now going, there's some overseas models we could look at for new governments. <laughs> so uh, joining me to pass... Judgment on these less known dictators is Craig Rucastle, Andrew Hansen, and Dom Knight. And I'm Charles Firth. Now let's get to the tales of horrible tyranny. Cat's pajamas or cat's piss with the chaser. Okay, first one I want to talk about is Enver Hodger. Hands up who's heard of Enver Hodger. Is anyone here? I think uh, I bought one at IKEA on the weekend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 no, I've never heard of Enver Hodger. Yeah. My, hand, my hand is down. Yeah, so, yeah. No, I mean, it's very, mentioned it's, the name. I'm not sure we've still heard of this person. So he was the dictator of Albania. Oh. Um, from 1944 until his death in 1985. Wow. Um, well, he was the dictator the whole time. Yeah, the whole time. Really? And there were no leadership spills against him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> See, it's something the Liberal Party could actually yeah, learn it's, from. Yeah, it's real model. stability. It's yeah. a real stability brought to the country. But uh, it's actually a fascinating tale because I always thought that the whole point about the Soviet Union was that you weren't allowed to, to leave it. Like, all the revolutions in the 1950s and 60s, you know, Poland tried to leave at once. You know, the, Hungary, the, yeah, they rolled the tanks in. Yeah, and the Soviet Union kept on saying, no, you're not allowed to leave. Well, this is the only Soviet state that was actually expelled from the Soviet <laughs> Union because it really? was a bit too dodgy for them. <laughs> really? It was just like, they're like, Albania's going to leave, like, yeah, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> keep the tanks at home. Yeah. It's fine. Okay, so, so, so Albania was part of the Soviet Union. Yeah. Got kicked out because... Because he was, he, was too, he was too much of a tyrant for Stalin to handle. That's a tough word. Wow. It's yeah. the tyrants that Stalin rejected. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Makes the Soviet Union such a thing. Yeah. The point is, so he was forced to sort of come up with a new plan, having been kicked out of the Soviet Union. Mm. And his idea was incredible isolation. What he wanted to do was cut off Albania from the world and be completely self-sufficient. And well, is that why we haven't heard of him? He was very successful. Yeah. He was very successful. And, well, the first thing that he did was he had a, a policy that if any foreigner tried to get into the country, and a few Americans tried to mm. and a few British people tried to, what he um, said should happen is that they should just be immediately executed. And this is what happened. So every time anyone tried to get into the country, they would just be executed. Is that cat's piss or cat's pyjamas? <laughs> wow. Uh, look, well, I would say it's cat's piss, but it's probably going to be a policy at the next election. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. look, I, 
I'd I, I beg to differ. I actually think that'd be cat's pajamas. Having lined up at customs for a very long time, every time you're trying to get in somewhere, it's so slow. Mm. It would be a much faster process. It just chopped everybody's heads off as they walked through the queue. So, so you just get executed if you. Now, was this because this is really one of these like. <clears throat> fine print things, right? Yeah. Like, were they pretty upfront with this? Mm. Or yeah, was it like, like in Indonesia, you, you come in and it says death to drug traffickers. So yeah. You say on the visa forms, death to everyone. Yeah, when yeah. To Albania. Or, or did it kind of, you had to read to page three and it was right down the bottom. <laughs> right. So lots of people turn up, like, oh, go to Albania, it's going to be a great time. Look, it might have been a bit of a giveaway uh, that he'd, he'd already killed by this point 200,000 of his own people that maybe you weren't really welcome there. Not necessarily. Like, there's yeah. a very big difference between killing your own people and, and encouraging tourism. Mm. I mean, that's, you know, that happens in countries. Well, China's still a very popular place to visit to, to this very day. Mm. Well, exactly. Um, did you have to, sorry, can I ask, did you have to actually get in to be killed or was it even just turning up and asking? No, it was they, turning up at the border. This is the whole thing. You turn up at the border and they'd kill you. Yeah, no, because it wasn't, it wasn't that they successfully got in. As far as I'm aware, no American or British person got in. Sounding better and better to me. <laughs> uh, how did it actually work? Like when you go to the airport and, and there's one of those like metal scanner things, one of those gates, was it just a guillotine? Yeah. Like, how did they kill you? Oh, no, they shot you, but I, there were no... They shut down. He shut down all the um, airports. There, were, there weren't any airports to fly into. Yeah, oh. No, no GD3, the... that sounds fantastic. Oh, that's, <laughs> so that's the whole hassle of it is it was a real hassle to get to your execution as well. You had to <laughs> come by land. <laughs> it must be very hard for people trying to travel to Albania for euthanasia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it would awkward. have been the perfect destination. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty awkward if you took a wrong turn as well, if you were just out for a nice drive <laughs> yeah. in the country and then and sort of, oh, excuse me, could you tell me how to get to... Particularly people who had reading difficulties and they were trying to get to, to Algeria and they completely <laughs> screwed up. <laughs> oh, Alabama. Yeah. Anyway, this is, this is not the, the odd part of his regime. Alabama did execute a lot of people, by the way. This is fairly vanilla dictatorship, really. Mm-hmm. No, the, the odd part of it was that he had an extremely eccentric public building um, project so what he decided to do was build, um, they were called pillboxes and they were these five-tonne concrete bunkers that fitted about one or two people, most of them, and they were, he built 600,000 of them. And this is a, in a country of, I think, three million people. Was he the original architect behind Federation Square? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. In Vahodja, it was. It was. <laughs> Um, and and what and and the idea was that if they ever got invaded, <laughs> in the unlikely event that anyone <laughs> wanted to go to Albania and invade mm-hmm. it, that all the men in the country were required to go to these pillboxes mm-hmm. and stand guard and fight to defend their country. But hang on a second, were there people in the pillboxes? Because I thought when you said all the men had to go to the pillboxes that he'd kind of done a little bit of a wrong approach on the kind of two-by-two two thing and he's, he's going to become the gayest nation on earth. <laughs> all the men quickly in the pillboxes. See, when I heard years later, we've survived. Hang on a second. It was sad. Damn like, it, we should have put some women in there. <laughs> I was wondering if it was like how huh? Kerry Packer put defibrillators in all the ambulances in New South Wales. And so he wanted to, wherever he was in the whole of Albania, there was going to be a pillbox within about five metres he could just jump in and survive any, any sort of nuclear attack. That would yeah. be quite... I, I think that would be cat's pyjamas, personally. Yeah, cat's pyjamas or cat's piss. 
Okay. So I just still don't still don't understand the pillboxes before I pass okay, no, important so, judgment on so, this. So they're forts. They're basically forts. But who goes into got, them? Men, all, gay all men. men. You just explained it. <laughs> and they go in there and have sex with and, each other. And to be honest, um, from what I understand about Mardi Gras, pillboxes are pretty popular there too. <laughs> yeah. No, they're, they're basically huge concrete But you bunkers. said only two people were going to them. Yeah, it, most of them were only like one or two person sized pillboxes. So are they as big as a phone box or are they as big as a kind of Maginot line kind of turret thing? They're as big as a five ton concrete bunker. So <laughs> but wait, the, the, the concrete is about a metre tall. The person who designed the, the pillboxes, the, the military bunkers, actually offered, apparently, he volunteered to test it out by sitting in one. And seeing whether and having a tank fired at it, oh. and 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 the dictator was watching. Enver came along to watch to see whether it would kill the designer of these mm. bunkers. Can I, can I and say, it didn't. He walked away. He walked away. Yeah. Look, I, despite that's a good side of this design. Yeah. But I feel like if if to get all Kevin McLeod on this in grand designs, mm. I feel like if you're <laughs> building a five ton full concrete thing and you can only get two people in. That's very inefficient use of space. Mm, the heating would be very efficient, yeah, well insulated. <laughs> but I think that's a great idea, Charles, for, for people who design, like, let's say, cars and car seats. Rather than using the crash test dummies, you should be getting the people from Ford or Volkswagen or wherever, strap them into the front seat of the car and just drive it very, very fast into a wall. If the car is, is is well designed, they'll be fine. And if not, well, they weren't very good at their job to begin with. Well, that's the sort of thing that you can do in a dictatorship. You can <laughs> say, hey, why don't you volunteer? You've designed this. You volunteer for it. But So, so I'm still a bit missed. So basically two people go in and all the other men stand No, no, let's top. say one person. No, no, there's like literally 600,000. sounding 000, a lot like the stalls at Mardi Gras. Six, so there's, let, let's <laughs> say there's 1.5 million men in... in Albania. Okay. Yeah. Is that a fact? They I got, just mean people are listening? Are they, yeah, I, no, it is like in 19... <laughs> say, it's 1960. Right. There's, there's 1.5 million men in Albania. Mm-hmm. They suddenly come under attack. Mm-hmm. There's 600,000 bunkers. You know, literally on every roadside, yep. there's bunkers. You know, right near where you live, yep. next to your house, there's a bunker. Oh, yep. okay. So they, they're kind of like... Pie faces. Yeah, and this, st- <laughs> and the whole problem is that they're still there, and they cannot get rid- just like pie faces. They can't get rid of them, and they've got holes for the gun for so, shooting out. So the whole idea is oh. you stand there with your gun, and as they oh. invade, you shoot the people Look, who are invading. I, this goes all the way back again to the Mardi Gras thing. They've got these little booths with a hole carved into the wall. <laughs> What'd you call it? A glory hole around the country. (laughs) What this tells me, Charles, is that Albania never got the NBN because Malcolm Turnbull's great contribution was, and it was the boxes all over the countryside, just everywhere. Oh, they could could have fibre to the turret, couldn't they? Yeah, that's right. Fibre to the pillbox. Uh, No, so but my question is, would it be cat's piece or cat's pyjamas to be a concrete contractor in the Republic of Albania? (laughs) Although you'd be working for a tyrant who has killed 200,000 people. Yeah, but to be enemies. fair, the Australian building industry isn't much less corrupt than that. <laughs> well, I mean, it'd be cat's piss, wouldn't it? Because wouldn't, when the dictator would say, well, to test the efficiency of your concrete, I'm going to pour it all over you <laughs> and let's see how you do. Yeah, I think it'd be cat's piss because, um, okay, sure, fine, your your concrete business is going really, really well. You make a lot of money. Mm. But presumably given the huge amount of resources put into this project, the entire rest of the Albanian economy would have been absolutely shit. So if you wanted to, you know, 
get food or have a school, you'd be fresh out of luck. So this is exactly what happened, uh, Dom, which is that in the mid-1970s, it became completely clear that nobody wanted to invade Albania. They'd been checked out of the Soviet Union. <laughs> China, actually, they went and said to Mao, Mao, how, you know, how are you going? You're pretty brutal. Can we buddy up to you? He buddied up to them for a while and then he rejected them as well. Uh, Seriously. Why did, why, why did nobody want this uh, beautiful concrete pillbox-laden country? <laughs> it sounds so gorgeous. I mean, Anyway, so but, but their entire economy was geared towards constructing these bunkers. Mm. So they just kept going and they kept on making more and more bunkers. Like, even, a, even a, and they were never, ever... Ever used. They should have just turned them into those Japanese sleeper boxes they have at the airport. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> capsule <laughs> hotels. Capsule we have the world's coolest capsule hotels in Albania mm. today. So they've been turned into garden sheds or most often big garbage cans. Um, but some of them <laughs> have been some of them have been turned into boutique toilets. Oh. It's a boutique toilet. Well, it's the one in a concrete bunker, <laughs> Craig. And they've already got the glory hole bored into the wall, so it's perfect. <laughs> Is that cat's pyjamas? Well, look, I mean, really, it's, it's probably cat's pyjamas, to be fair. I mean, if you're going to go through 41 years or so of dictatorship and kill many, many thousands of people, if at least the end you get a boutique toilet out of it. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm... <laughs> It's, I'm really looking at this as glass half full. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, well, let's just do an overall of Enver Hodja. Mm-hmm. It, was he cat's piss or cat's pyjamas? I'm against him on the murdering. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for architectural appeal, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think generally I'm still against him cat's piss. Well, I think it's cat's, cat's piss that the guy's remembered for shooting tourists and building concrete boxes. It's, it's not a great legacy, is it? I mean, it's not, not exactly the catalogue of the Beatles. So, uh, <laughs> but it is the Liberal Party policy for the next election. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next dictator that I want to talk about is Idi Amin. I've heard of him. Yeah, you've heard of him. He's, he was the president of uh, Uganda for about sort of seven or eight years in the 1970s. Is that considered a very low amount of time for a dictator? Is it really embarrassing? You know, it's like it's like being a prime minister for a few weeks, really. Well, like it's not a matter of how long, Rui. It's a matter of what you do with it. Like he, Idi Amin was the Beatles of dictators. They were only around for seven years, but all the albums they released were quite extraordinary. That that, that is correct, Dom. Uh, yeah, he he certainly packed a lot into the time he? that he was there. But I, I want to first of all start with how he got to power, which is uh, it was February nineteen sixty six. And he and uh, this guy called Milton Abuti basically ran the army and they started smuggling gold and ivory and they got in trouble for it. Like the police force went, hey, hang on, this is a bit of a, you know, problem here. <laughs> the police force said, hang on, we smuggle the gold and ivory <laughs> out here. So what they did was uh, they immediately uh, had a coup, suspended the constitution and Milton Abuti um, actually appointed himself president and dictator of the entire Ugandan country. Mm. Did he use the term president and dictator? Because I feel like it's a bit of a giveaway. (laughs) You put it on his badge. (laughs) No, actually, he called himself executive president, which is such a spin involved there. (laughs) And the reason they were trading gold and ivory was um, they wanted to then buy arms with the money that they made out of the gold and ivory. Mm. Anyway... So fast forward a few months later 
And suddenly um, uh, Milton Obudi has an assassination attempt against him. And no one quite knows who did it, but all fingers sort of point to this guy called Idi Amin, who's Milton Obudi's business partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, was, he was seen that day measuring up the blinds in the yeah. office. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so then fast forward, a few more months go past and another assassination attempt happens on Milton Obudi. And he, by this point, he's getting really quite paranoid. He's going... Somebody tries to keep on killing me mm. um, and it seems to happen every time uh, Idi Amin comes into town. So, so hang on, so did, did he, well, it's strange that he didn't kill Idi Amin. Like, is it, was he not that suspicious? Because generally speaking, if you're a dictator and somebody tries to assassinate you, what, that's you, right. you generally take a fairly wide approach of killing mm. most people. That yeah, that's why been. if you're Kim Jong-un, you get your uncle in the middle of a field and use an anti-aircraft gun. That's what you do. That's mm. that, you got to do that stuff. No, but the problem was that it was Idi Amin who'd kept all the arms. So oh. they'd done all the struggling operations. Idi Amin had said to Milton, you go off and be president. I'll, I'll look after the arms. I'll look after all the arms. I'll have the stockpile. So then Milton says, hey, Idi, why don't we, or Amin, do you say Idi? Yeah, probably Idi. <laughs> hey, Idi, go off and why don't you go and kill um, this other guy, uh, King Matusa II, mm-hmm. King Freddy. Um, he's he's being a bit of a trouble, and he tried to get rid of Idi Amin by going and getting to kill some other president mm. other than himself. Um, cat's piss or cat's pajamas? Is that a good way to get rid of a military commander who is clearly trying to kill you? Is that a good idea? Is that a good strategy? I think it's a great strategy. I mean, yeah, it's, it's cat's pajamas. If you if somebody's trying to kill you, mm. generally try to get them to kill somebody else. <laughs> well, to be <laughs> fair, what I always Mal- Malcolm Turnbull managed to get Peter Dutton um, on one, one side for years going and killing refugees. Like, that That worked mm. really well for a long time. Yeah. It was and, very woke, Dom. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, well done, Dommy. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it, it didn't really deserve a laugh, just more like a, hmm, yes, hmm, hmm. Retweet. So anyway, having done this, Milton Abudi goes, okay, I'm safe. I'm going to go off to the Commonwealth Heads of Government Conference, you know, the Chogum Conference. No one should ever go to Chogum. This is one yeah. of the rules of governing. So that's cat's piss to go yeah. to Chogum. Never go to yeah. The only person who enjoys Chogum ever has is Kevin Rudd. Come yeah. on. Mm. So was it a good idea to, to go to Chogum? But hang on right? I, I still don't know what happened when he went to Chogum. You just mean the fact <laughs> he, that he's I'll tell you death. what happened. You, you can tell what's going to happen. Idi Amin then takes over the government and holds a coup. So he didn't kill him in the end. Well, that's no. cat's pyjamas in that sense. Cat's, yeah, he's done well. I mean, I mean, to be fair, Chogum is probably worse, worse than yeah. death. Is, is Chogum one of those ones where they have to wear a silly shirt? Did he, did he have to wear a silly shirt there? Yeah, I think he probably. Oh well, that's yeah. a great way of getting rid of of somebody's dignity, at least <laughs> of life. A body bag, and potentially. Anyway, so uh, a booty's gone. He's forced a, into a exile. A booty or booty? A booty. <laughs> I don't know. I like the idea. It's that's the same debate as in our country. Yeah. A booty is gone. <laughs> <laughs> Did he get a booty call? And so the first thing he d- turns around to do, Idi Amin, he's now president. Mm. First thing he does is order max, mass executions of everyone who supported Abuti or had anything to do with him. It, it was or, even or, in just the tribe, the same tribe as Abuti. Or even just had Abuti, eh? Hey? <laughs> <laughs> so isn't that basically his team? So his team seized power. No, no, it was it was an alliance between Idi Amin and uh, Milton Abuti. Okay. Right. And so instead of sort of dealing him in and saying, here, go off and kill somebody else, here, mm. you 
deal with the arms. Yeah. What Idi Amin did was go, no, let's just kill anyone involved with well, my rival. Anyone at all. I actually think that that is cat's pyjamas because the most annoying, boring thing that we ever have to listen to are people from the opposition whinging. <laughs> you know, they always come on the bloody news, the opposition leader. Who cares, mate? Shut, shut up. And, you know, if, it should happen in Australia. If you could just kill the entire opposition party <laughs> off, we'd never have to sit and listen to that nonsense every night. Yes. Well, what I like about this podcast is it's really applicable to everyone's normal life. <laughs> <laughs> Very relatable. <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, next time I'm trying to take over an African country and figure out who to kill, this is going to pop right to the top of my mind. <laughs> it's kind it, of top tips. It's kind of life hacks. Yeah. Yeah. What we should have done is we should have, hacks. it should have been How Stuff Works. That should have been the name of the podcast. Um, no, anyway, so and then so then 1972 rolls around and uh, Idi Amin's got rid of his opposition. And so he does – but he, he sort of um, – he's getting a bit paranoid at this point and he, he thinks – At this point? Yeah. <laughs> this, like after killing off everyone <laughs> who opposed. And so he decides that the actual problem – uh, it's not the Abudi opponents anymore. It's actually the merchant class. So there are about 70,000 Asian people living in um, in Uganda at this point. And they ran all the com- commerce. They ran all the shops and mm. did all the import-export trades. So he says, okay, all of you have to go home. All Asians have to go home. And overnight he expelled 70,000 people from Uganda and sent them back to Asia. So he expelled 70,000 people from the yeah. country, yeah. the ones that ran all the shops. Yeah. So guess what <laughs> Guess what happened to the economy after that, Craig? Um, um, <laughs> were there less shops? <laughs> it must have been very hard to find a convenience store. So, so he, he expelled yeah. – the, mm. the Asians were mainly involved in manufacturing, agriculture and commerce – and the entire economy then came to a screeching halt mm. and um, led to, to mass starvation and, um, it, like, basically no one could eat or drink. Um, wow. Well, who would have seen that coming? I mean, mm. it would have been really annoying, though, because you couldn't have, uh, just for him, like, what, what about Idi Amin if he wanted to, you know, had a hankering for a Mars bar or something? <laughs> he wouldn't have been able to, to go down to the well, shop well, and get one. He, well, this is the problem. He didn't think it through. But, yeah, so he sort of saw everything going wrong and he realised that the actual problem was that um, he wasn't making enough decisions himself. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> don't you hate delegation yeah, when you're yeah. a dictator? Donald Trump's having yeah, the same problem. He, yeah. he was getting a bit paranoid and he thought, well, the whole problem is actually just I haven't consolidated power enough. Yeah. <laughs> so he sets up and this is one of the unique times in the whole of human history that there's been an absolute exercise of total power in one person. And his system of government became that he would come to court every every morning and he'd have about three hours of decision-making. And that was the only time that any decision was allowed to be <laughs> made in Uganda for the entire Ugandan nation. Right? Really? And anyone uh, who what, made... You mean he's like, honey, what's for yeah. dinner tonight? I'm sorry, I didn't yeah. get into TV, yeah. the president. <laughs> That's right. What are we going to watch on TV tonight? Oh, oh, we have no. to wait till tomorrow till yeah, the president yeah. tells us. <laughs> um, and, and so if anyone... And so, but it was from large to small. You're absolutely right. So it was to settle you know, disputes between neighbours. There was no <laughs> judges anymore. There was no There was no other system other than going and seeing whether you could get in the crowd and ask Idi Amin, hey, you know, 
where should our fence go? Or... It's it's good to see a country that tried out the Judge Judy mechanism of government. <laughs> trial oh, by ju- Kyle. Judge, yeah. judge Iddy in this case. <laughs> uh, but it was also things like, you know, what should we do with our armed forces? You know, like, so... The, <laughs> but there was no... There was... There was no system into in, in prioritising decision-making. <laughs> this is, I love the idea that the, the military's there in the queue going, um, we've kind of been invaded, uh, we really need to attack back. He says, hang on, I've just got to sort out this neighbourhood dispute. So your fence, you say, who's going to pay for it? <laughs> See, uh, it makes me think that the, the decision-making process in this podcast is a little bit flawed. I mean, we have a debate, cat's pyjamas or cat's piss, if we simply... Ask the question directly to Idi Amin. The, the, the podcast would be a lot faster, a lot more efficient, I feel. Yeah. Well, and, this, is, this is a bit like it. And the other thing that would be really good to implement for this podcast would be um, the Assass- next step. Assassinations? Which, which is that if you um, – yeah, no, exactly. If if you then defied uh, Idi Amin or made a decision outside of this court system, um, he would kill you. And that included his chief of staff. So he went through a number of chiefs of staff during this period. <laughs> That's a because, tough job. Because, yeah, they had to take down all the decisions and write them down. But if it sort of turned out a bit wrong, he'd blame them. He'd go, oh, no, no, I didn't really say that. I said something else. And he'd kill them in front of everyone. He'd just kill them. Wow. And right. get them to get it. And did, hands up who wants to be the new chief of staff. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, was that the one job that the wage was slowly creeping up? Exactly. So cat's pyjamas or cat's piece, would you take um, the job of chief of staff to Idi Amin? Uh, what are you asking us this for? In what world is there going to be cat's pyjamas? What are you talking about? There's no answer to that question. Well, but no, hang on. Isn't there an argument that it's better to have lived gloriously than to have lived long? Like you'd have a couple of days, you'd be the second in charge and basically when it wasn't the three hours, you could do whatever you wanted. If you made it to the end of the three hours, you could just go around going, Idi Amin says you've got to give me free beers as many as I want and no one's going to argue with you. Tomorrow you get killed, but until you get killed, it's cat's pyjamas all the way. And I think mm. that is actually right. There are tales of his chief of staff actually doing extraordinary um, things with their... They essentially were exercising unlimited totalitarian power in the name of Idi Amin. And they, they lived it up while they were alive, but they tended to get killed. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, well, particularly if Idi Amin found out what had happened. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly, exactly. Mm. Uh, um, look, it's, you, you're talking it up now, Charles. I'm starting to reassess. <laughs> <laughs> I might go for that job as Idi Amin's chief of staff. Oh, okay, good. Mm. Well, we finally got a cat's pyjamas out of it. Um, anyway, so fast forward to 1979. He goes through a few sort of... Um, chiefs of staff. Chiefs of staff, but also he makes a few crucial errors allowing hijackers to come and um, set up camp. Or bring their plane into... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he does a few things like that which sort of mean that he, he ends up with not, not a huge number of countries sort of supporting his regime. Right, so murdering everyone was fine, but as yeah. soon as you... you kind of accommodate hijackers who want to come and land, that's it. That's when the national community goes, nah, mate. Yeah, that's right. This. And so by 1979, he basically is is forced out um, of Uganda. He flees to Libya and ends up um, in Saudi Arabia. And and they're basically well, the was, only... I mean, did he not have a map? 
You just <laughs> said he fleed to Saudi Arabia and ended up in Libya or the other way around. I mean, that's a, he's really got it wrong there. That's a big country to miss. <laughs> he needed his chief of staff driving. <laughs> how, how do you get rid of a guy who completely centralises power to himself and kills anyone who disagrees with him? Was there a chief of staff that, um, that, that got a little bit uppity? Yeah, no, what it was was it's a fairly regionalised army and um, all the different parts of the army started whispering to each other. Um, and hoping that other people wouldn't be killed. And he just, his support, as far as I understand, his support just eroded. I suspect he would have lost quite a few news polls in a row, <laughs> given <laughs> that <laughs> particular style of governing. <laughs> it was the 50th <laughs> news poll loss. And, and, and remember, the economy throughout this entire period didn't work. Like, well, there were no shops. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he didn't get jobs or growth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a bit... Similar to the coalition. <laughs> well, there were a lot of jobs of chief of staff, I suppose, <laughs> becoming available. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's probably better to be killed at the end of your chief of staff job than have to go on and do a Sky show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, um, and in and, and Saudi Arabia, basically brokers, you actually brokers the, the deal to get rid of him peacefully. But then, so he ends up, 1979, he lives all the way till t- 2003. So he lives really? to sort of... 20 years, more than 20 years, um, a life of really quite normality. He, he basically ended up being a middle-class Saudi Arabian, um, you know, So person. he would just like, he would get up in the morning, he'd go in the shop and buy his milk or Absolutely. his rice or whatever. And there's really? lots of accounts of people who were living in Saudi Arabia going, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw um, Idi Amin <laughs> at the supermarket the other day. Yeah, yeah. And he's really? buying the groceries. He killed the checkout chip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He kept trying to buy his groceries with gold and ivory and they wouldn't take it. Yeah. <laughs> and he, but, but he couldn't travel anywhere else. He, he, he had to live there for the rest of his life. But, yeah. um, you know, in terms of, you know, a retirement plan, it, like what do you think about that? Like, I, would it have been I better mean, if he just sort of went out in a blade of, blaze of glory or? I, I really think that it's surprising that no one from Uganda, if he's just wandering the streets of Saudi Arabia, went up there and knocked him off. If he's mm. pissed off that many people, I mean, I'm not generally in favour of extrajudicial, extrajudicial killings, mm. but it's surprising yeah. that he's just allowed to live. Yeah, no, it, yeah. it was, and no bodyguards or anything apparently, especially by the end. He just yeah, really, yeah. Was it, well, is that because like in, in Saudi Arabia, the average person wasn't really across the details and sort of like, oh, is, is that guy who did something? I think he was in mm. charge. I mean, Maybe is that why or...? I think it's because he lived in the dictator district. So it's kind of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're all mostly the, the dictators. The exiled dictator <laughs> yeah. district, yeah. yeah. Saudi, <laughs> Saudi, it's a very, very peaceful country. As long as you're not a woman trying to drive, you're absolutely fine. <laughs> did, did people still go to him with all their problems about, you know, oh, my neighbour's goat has chewed through my fence? <laughs> For the three what, hours. What, yeah. Can you explain to me? Three hours of power. <laughs> Being a dictator, what do you think? Cat's pyjamas or cat's piss? Oh, it's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> Having worked with you, Craig, you know, you've got the personality for oh, it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, that's true. Can we just try assassinating Norman? I'll see how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon it'd be cat's pyjamas for during the time that it worked for you. Mm. And, and then when, <laughs> judging by all these stories, there comes a point where it would suddenly become cat's piss very, very quickly. It's the same, uh, it's the same as working in a library, though. <laughs> like, you know, when you're doing it, it's fine. Once you get sacked, it's really <laughs> shitty. <laughs> it's the same with anything, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Dictator, library, same difference. Yeah.
Cat's Pyjamas or Cat's Piss with The Chaser was written and presented by The Chaser. Created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Alex Mitchell. Sound production by Darcy Thompson and Matt Nikolic. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au. Download the Podcast One app or search Cat's Pyjamas on Apple Podcasts.